0: Can you hear me? (laughs) All right. Okay. Good evening, everyone, and to those watching the live stream. um, I hope you had an edifying time with your small group as you discussed the, the last chapter of Titus. Last weekend, we remembered the cross of Christ. We also celebrated the resurrection of Christ. We remembered the gospel. We celebrated the gospel last weekend. For tonight, we are going to learn how to live the gospel in this dying world through God's word. So before we begin, let's open with a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we're so thankful for the cross and the resurrection. That the gospel unites us together tonight. And we thank you for your saving and sanctifying grace that appeared to our lives. Oh Lord, we humbly ask, please illuminate our hearts so that we would know your word on how to live out your gospel in this, in this dying world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are uh, excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish Controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, but about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who steers up division after warning him, once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Every time you turn on the news, what do you see? Wars, crimes, greed, sensuality, hate. There is no doubt that this world is lost in sin. This world is dying. It is dark and it's not getting better. It gets worse, worse and worse. But what is the church supposed to do in this dying and dark world? The answer is that we look to Scripture. For our passage tonight, in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, we see the role of the church in this dying world. It is to be a living testimony of the gospel to be witnessed by the world. Before we dive into our passage, it's good to have like a wide-angle lens on Titus and review the previous, previous chapters to see the context of our passage. The core message of Titus is the gospel. Paul writes this letter, to Titus, who's pastoring the churches in the island of Crete. He begins his letter with the gospel authority from Christ and the charge to put gospel order in the church. In chapter 1, the gospel order in the church begins with its leadership. Titus was charged to appoint elders based on their character that aligns with the gospel, and also rebuke false teachers. Then, in chapter 2, Paul states to teach what accords to sound doctrine, and also to rebuke and exhort with all authority for the call of gospel living in a manner appropriate to the church family. But Paul's scope of gospel living is not only limited in the relationships inside the church, but also outside the church. In chapter 3, Paul commands Titus to remind the church about their calling to evangelize the lost. The gospel doesn't just stop in these four uh, walls of this building. Paul reminds us believers to live out the gospel in this dying world so that God's saving work in our lives can be witnessed by unbelievers for evangelism. In Titus chapter 3 verses 1 to 11, we find four reminders for living out the gospel in this dying world. Four reminders. So let's go to... Number one, the gospel reminds us to be Christ-like in our attitude and behavior towards the world. In verse one, it states, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show Perfect courtesy toward all people. All people. The previous passage talks about how God's grace accomplishes gospel living. Then, here in verse 3, Paul uses the word remind. In the original Greek, it means to put in the mind for remembrance. It is also in a singular, present, active, imperative verb. So it means it is not a new teaching. It is also not a one-time teaching. So in light of God's grace and the gospel, Paul is to continually remind the congregation to have a good attitude and behavior towards unsaved rulers and authorities, and people in general outside the church. We submit to the government. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we see why we need to submit. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperors as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Then, four verses later, the Apostle Paul in verse 21 states, that we are to follow the footsteps of Christ. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. We follow Christ, that sometimes we suffer when we do good. Now, we must draw the line sometimes it is necessary to go against earthly authorities to obey God. We see examples in Exodus chapter 1, when the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to kill Hebrew baby boys. Daniel prayed despite the king's command. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles kept preaching after being ordered to be silent by authorities. Overall, we need to look to Christ. He is our model when it comes to dealing with all types of people. When we read the Gospels, Christ is ready to do good work. But not just for the sake of making people feel good about themselves, or just to meet a need. Christ does good works so that he can proclaim the gospel and address the sin in their lives. We need to show Christ-like attitude and behavior to all people. We have to be ready for every good work and showing perfect courtesy to all people. By the way, the courtesy here in Greek, it means humility. All doesn't mean in number. It means all kinds of people, both believers and unbelievers. There is a reason why God has put you in your family, workplace, and neighborhood. Maybe, for some of you, You are the only believer in your family. My encouragement for you is that our calling is to be faithful image bearers of Christ so that they can see the gospel being lived out. We live in a dying world that needs to know Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Living the gospel is not just on Sundays at church, but every day. How are we outside of the church? How are you in your homes? For us, parents, that includes me. Do our unsaved children see the gospel in our life? When we are in our workplace and neighborhood, do we live out the gospel? How do we react when government leaders do things that we don't agree with? Do we pray for them that they may know Christ? Or are we going to act like unbelievers who complain and slander? Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ to our families, co-workers, to our neighborhood and communities. But why do we need to do good works to the unsaved? This uh, leads us to our second point. The second point, the gospel reminds us to be a testimony of Christ's saving and sanctifying grace to be witnessed by the world. In verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In verse 3, it starts with the word for. Verse 3 is our testimony on who we were before God's grace appeared in our lives. Paul reminds us believers of our past. If you have attended the Logos prayer time last week for the Good Friday celebration, I hope you were humbled when you shared your testimony, and I hope you were edified when you heard the testimony of others, I was. Why does, why does Paul want us to remember uh, how our lives looked like before Christ? We might fall into the trap of being critical of unbelievers. When unsaved people do things that we don't agree with, how do we react? Are we appalled by the things they post on Facebook? Or maybe that shows my age. Maybe I should say Instagram or maybe TikTok. You see, are we filled with compassion thinking these people need Christ? For I too would be lost like them without him. The NBA playoffs just started. And this is my sanctification. There are players, athletes, earning millions of dollars who can be rude and can be annoying and have a boastful attitude. How do we feel when we watch an athlete who can be so obnoxious, or maybe a celebrity, a self-centered celebrity, do we get mad at them? Or do we see them as foolishly lost without Christ? Do we see ourselves that we could be the same person bragging and doing the same self-centered things apart from God's grace. We are not above unbelievers. Without Christ, we would be lost in our depravity as them. And look at the words here. We were once foolish. We were disobedient, led astray, slaves to the sinful desires and pleasure. When we remember how lost we were before Christ, we would have compassion for the lost. Compassion for the lost motivates us in our evangelism. Our Lord and Savior was compassionate. In Matthew chapter 9, Christ saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because He knew they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Do we have compassion for our unsaved family members, friends, and co-workers who are lost in their sin? They wouldn't know any better because Christ is not their shepherd. This is why we need God's saving work in our lives and leads us to the next verses. In verse 4, we see, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that... By being justified, being, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In light of the previous verse, we didn't rescue ourselves. We were rescued by the loving kindness and goodness of God. Observe who's doing the action here. Who does the work of salvation? See the pronouns and the verbs. It's God doing the rescuing here. He is also sanctifying us. We have nothing to boast, but respond in thankfulness and worship and obedience to God. The only thing that we contributed to our salvation was our sin. Even our faith was a gift from God. We show to the dying world that we were once lost, but now we are found. We were blind, but now we see. There's a change that is so obvious that they will say, wow, this is the work of God. We heard from Pastor Mark's sermon last Sunday about how Paul shared his testimony to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Paul always shares his testimony. He was a murderer opposing Christ and his church. But God, but God saved him, transformed him to be a believer. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Our transformation is a testimony about the power of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Titus was called to pastor in the island of Crete. Cretans, in chapter 1, if you remember, Cretans were known to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Crete is like a pleasure party island. Pleasure Island known to have very bad criminals. But imagine when a lying, a lazy, and pleasure-loving Cretan becomes a believer transformed by the gospel, becoming honest, hardworking, and a generous Christian. Wouldn't that bring curiosity to the friends around him? It's an evangelistic opportunity to show how Christ has saved him and continues to transform him. Many years ago, I was a junior software engineer. And uh, it was in a small company. It was my second job. And I met a Christian co-worker who was leading Bible studies I can still remember that every Wednesday morning, he would invite my co-workers and he would lead the Bible study. And he shared his testimony with me. He was an atheist. Not only an atheist, but a a hostile, anti-God atheist to the point that in his former life, many years ago, he would go to Christians And he would debate with them. And one thing that he would do is that he would go to Christians, open the Bible, and start ripping pages of the Bible in front of Christians to make a point that he has no fear of God because he does not believe in God. And he would even say, see, lightning did not strike me. But God, God's loving kindness... And grace appeared to him. God used a pastor to minister to him. The pastor started inviting him to church. My friend at first was disarmed because here he was going to church ready to debate Christians and he was expecting that the believers in that church would debate against him, trying to prove the point. But he was disarmed by the love of the church, the good works that he has seen. To cut the long story short, after multiple months of going to the church, the gospel opened his eyes that he saw how wretched he was as a sinner before a holy God, that he was a fool. In Psalms, Only the fool says that there is no God. The Holy Spirit regenerated his heart and opened his eyes to the truth of Christ's gospel, that he repented and turned to Christ to be his Lord and Savior. He was in tears when he got saved. What is impossible for man is possible for God. He saw the love and care of the church and the gospel being faithfully proclaimed. Praise God for the work of salvation. He was once a foolish, hostile atheist who used to rip Bibles apart, but now he is a born-again Christian teaching the Bible and being proactive in good works. And this leads us to the third point. The gospel reminds us to be proactive in good works for Christ's glory to the world. In verse 8, it says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Good works is a major theme in Titus but it is always mentioned in the context of the gospel. God's work comes first before our good works. The saying here in verse 8 this is the gospel and we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. God's saving work comes first then faith in Christ comes before doing good works. Every every Christian needs to remember that Christ is the root and good works are the fruit. That is the proper order. Christians are not Christians because of their good works. Even unbelievers do good works. Christians are Christians because they believe in Jesus Christ. Christ is at the throne of the heart of believers, and good works flow from that. And we have to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. In the original Greek, careful here means thoughtful and intentional. It means it was something thought about, not passive. Devoted means engaged and practicing. So you could say believers are thoughtful and intentional in engaging good works. Now, what are good works? We have to turn to Scripture to define it for us because people might have different assumptions on what it is. Some people might think that it is serving in church ministries. You might say, oh, I do a lot of good works. I serve in ministry A, B, C, D, you name it. But that is just one aspect of it. But an incomplete understanding of good works. So we have to look at scripture. So, what is biblical good works? Good works are gospel works. Biblical good works encompass every aspect of our desire, thinking, and conduct before God. Let me repeat that. Biblical good works encompass every aspect of our desire, thinking, and conduct before God. Good works are not only about ministry work, but living in a Christ-like way, toward our household, employer, and in the realm of our contacts. Good works encompass not only giving to the work and ministry of the church, but truly loving the people in the ministry. Overall, it is to be Christ-like in our desires, attitude, and conduct. And why is that? See, there, are, there is the wrong type of good works. Good works are not just like checkbox task items. Sadly, there are many people who do good works, and yet Christ is not truly the Lord in their lives. Hence, they are fruitless. And we see that in Matthew chapter 7. Christ was speaking to professing disciples here. He was not talking to unbelievers. It's alarming that many people think that they are right before Christ because of their good works. But their hearts are far away from Christ, that they don't have a relationship with Him. Now that's the principle. So what are examples of good works? Well, we don't have to look any further. We can just look at the book of Titus. So I looked at Titus from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And here are examples of good works in Titus. Our call is to be like Christ in how we do good works. It's not only action, but also in our heart, attitude, and character too. Perhaps you can take a mental snapshot of this or you can bring out your phone take a picture, and you can pray and ask God how you can grow and apply these. And our motivation is not to make, our say, or to make, it's not to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Or it's not, sorry, it's not to make ourselves feel good, but our motivation is to serve God. We do good works proactively for the glory of God. And we see that in 1 Peter 2.12 and Matthew 5.16, that we have to show our good works through our conduct, desires, and character for the glory of God. So when it comes to good works, are we passive or are we intentional? Do we wait for someone to tell us what to do? Or do we only wait when a need arises? Do we check our motives before we serve? That it's not to make ourselves look good? Not for self-glory, but for the glory of God. The world needs to see our Christ-like good works. And they would know we are set apart from the world. This leads us to the last point. The fourth and last point. The gospel reminds us to be set apart to Christ and to be set apart from anti-gospel behavior in the world. Scripture says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are to engage in good works, but we are to avoid anything that is divisive to the gospel. The health of the church is at stake here. A factious person is someone who strays away from the church doctrine and can be a cancer to the body of Christ. Cancer cells need to be cut off for the body to be healthy. This is for the protection of the church. We need to preserve the unity and the holiness of the church, which is to be witnessed by the world because the church is set apart. This is why there's, there are only two warnings. The gospel is at stake here. One of the last instructions of Jesus to his disciples was to love one another. And we see that in John chapter 13 verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, what? If you have love for one another. He didn't say, by this, all men would know that you are my disciples if you sing praise songs or you give food to the poor. He doesn't say that. He says, if you have love for one another. The opposite of love is hate. And disunity in the body of Christ can lead to hate. If the church departs from the truth of the gospel, its witness to the love of Christ will be lost. How can the world know we are Christ's disciples if there, is, if there is this unity caused by anti-gospel behavior? As a church, we have to be set apart from the world so that they can see the beauty and the clarity of the gospel. As I close, here's the four reminders for gospel living in this dying world. In verses 1 to 2, we are to be Christ-like in our attitude and behavior towards the world. In verses 3 to 7, we are to be a testimony of Christ's saving and sanctifying grace to the world. In verse 8, we are to be proactive in good works for Christ's glory to the world. In verses 9 to 11, we are to be set apart from anti-gospel behavior in the world. This is my last slide. The gospel encompasses all aspects of our lives. It's the gospel That transforms our hearts and desires to be like Christ. That renews our heart, our minds, our thinking to be like Christ. Then it overflows to good works. This is gospel living in a dying world. That the world may witness that our God who is holy, rich with mercy, abounding in grace, full of steadfast love, that God saved us wretched sinners through the cross and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we're so thankful tonight that we are edified by your word. We are reminded by the gospel of how you have saved us by your grace and your loving kindness and goodness. By the power of your spirit, please enable us to live the gospel both inside and outside the church according to your word. We pray, Lord, for our unsaved friends, family members, co-workers, that they may witness the gospel being lived out in our lives. Oh, Lord, we need your help. And we thank you, Father, because you are with us. And we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We pray for these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.